If you're not already a subscriber to the London Review of Books, now is the perfect time to try. Sign up for just £5 a month and treat yourself to some of the world's best writing from Europe's leading magazine of culture and ideas. Subscribe now while you're listening to this podcast at lrb.me forward slash now. That's lrb.me forward slash now. Welcome to the London Review Bookshop podcast. To find out about our upcoming events, visit londonreviewbookshop.co.uk forward slash events. Hi everybody, thank you for joining myself and Morgan tonight on this very, very hot evening. Very hot. (laughs) I'm really excited to have Morgan here in conversation with me. I'm a massive fan of Magical Negro and this is Morgan's third collection of poetry. Her first, There Are More Beautiful Things Than Beyonce and her second, Other People's Comfort Keeps Me Up at Night. Other way around, sorry. That's okay. (laughs) Other way around. It's a lot of words and a lot of information. Those two collections were also amazing, but Magical Negro I have dived into this week. So I'm really excited to hear you do your reading and to talk about the themes in the book, which are around black womanhood and American history. So if you wouldn't mind entertaining us with a reading or two, that would be amazing. So you had requested this one, which I thought, I don't know if it will translate because it's very much about Bed-Stuy. But, you know, there's probably some comparable thing. For anyone who hasn't been to Bed-Stuy in New York, it's kind of like the Brixton. Have you seen Spike Lee? It's Bed-Stuy. There we go. Okay. <laughs> uh, we're there. And uh, here's just like a central part of Bed-Stuy. And I'm certain that you've seen an African braid shop. So that, that at least transfers. This is a true story. Two white girls in the African braid shop on Marcy and Fulton. Does it hurt? Why did you come here? What do you want? Are you filming this? Do you live in this neighborhood? Do you have a picture? Do you feel comfortable? Can I ask, is that a weave? Why do you feel comfortable? Is the neighborhood treating you well? Do you read the news? Where's your real hair? Do you like America? Are you filming this? How much? Dollars. Did you hear about the trial? Where are we going after this? I heard it was non-indictment. I have been listening. Nigerian soap operas, praise be to God. Did you just take a picture of me? How do you feel about America? Is it too late? Reminds me of TV plantations. You'll get the shoes when I have enough money. Stop crying. Your mother loves you. Not too tight because I am tender. Not too big because I want it to last. Why did you come here? You know, with everything that's been going on these days. Do the radios stay on all night? Does anyone tell a baby who they are, who they have to keep being? How did you sleep? Your soft kitchen, dark nipples. This is when we say our prayers. Women fill with infants and butter. Who are you texting? Did we make reservations? What language? Eyes so black they syrup. Hair so black there are no windows. The smell of burnt rope. How long will it be? How long do you want it? I know you. I wish I were you. I, I want to drag my toes in something I finally own. Do you know it only gets worse from here? Cash only. Do whatever you want. Laugh, cry, 
throw things at me. I'll take it all, honestly, and I probably deserve it. So, <laughs> this poem's called And Cold Sunset. How I feel about you is smoking a cigarette in the rain. I think about walking into traffic and suddenly your dick. I think about a yellow line and then a road and then an animal and nothing rises up and horror is a verb. I want to forgive myself for overindulging. Food delivery men see me without a bra more than anyone else. My body is an argument I did not start. In a way, I am not aware who made me. I bow down to a deep plea. When strangers call my name, I feel like a white girl, skin in reverse and a quiet pussy. Nothing helps me not think about universes. I'm funny because I know nothing matters. Just some more sad shit, why not? <laughs> we're on a whole, we're on a journey together. And that journey is very sad. Uh, so here we go. Wall of Respect is like this thing in Chicago where a lot of folks have painted like these black heroes and it's like part of, I don't know, Chicago's like cultural history. And I, I saw it recently, uh, the Hypersis of Soul, Nina Simone. So there's like an image of her visiting the wall of respect and checking it out. And that has only a little bit to do with this poem. The High Priestess of Souls Sunday morning visit to the wall of respect. The impressionism wing strikes me as too dainty for my mood, except for one oil painting by Gustave Caibat, calf's head and ox tongue, which is described in the wall text as visually unpleasant. A bust of an African woman bums me out. This year, I cried at everyone's kitchen table. I spit on the street and was late on purpose and stepped in glass and my dog died and I saw minuses over and over. I'll figure it out. I let a man walk away and then another one. It has taken me exactly this long to realize I could have done something else. I'm being repetitive now, but do you ever hate yourself? <laughs> I know. <laughs> Tour's been weird to just like say I hate myself over and over in millions of cities. Powerful line to end on. It's just been a ton of fun. Um, okay, so I wrote this book called Magical Negro, clearly. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that idea. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But as I was writing it, I was like, I guess I have to figure out, like, all of them are numbers, Magical Negro, number 217, whatever. And uh, at some point, I was like, I guess I have to figure out what Magical Negro number one is. So, Magical Negro number one, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Best I could come up with. <laughs> they make his eyes that color so he can seduce you. Literally, every white boyfriend, tender, until they're not. Y'all know that nigger was a nigger. Y'all know those whores were whores. Sometimes I go to the sink for water and I come back with a jar full of wine. 
Every second I breathe, I forgive. This poem is after a poem by Terrence Hayes called What I Am. Let's call it the same thing. It's, uh, it's not like this, but <laughs> alas. What I Am. I drink the glamour even when it makes me sick. Eleven or two, it don't matter. I'm not lost waiting to be famous. I'm waiting in line at Walgreens for my pills and texting a white man I hope will fuck me. He smells like rolling papers and the ocean in Santa Barbara. I consider buying chips, not yours, uh, crisps <laughs> and ebony and dog-earing every page that says hallelujah. I keep saying I'm black so I don't forget. I twist my hair in my fingers and watch time go silk. I drink the glamour and offer myself. If I could, I would fuck them all. They don't know what I am. I play my tarot only at night. My eyes fall, I get mean, I fall in love. I deny this. The supremacy makes me ache. The supremacy calls me baby. The people in commercials, we are slowly becoming them, biting our lips because the taste of meat. Nothing is sexier than how hungry I am. I say thick means hallelujah. Size two or six, it don't matter. The pills are a cartoon animal, a quiet sister. And I'm the type of girl says, same shit, different day. I call to medicine in my sleep. I don't crash into rocks. And everywhere I see myself, and I am a nigger girl you love. Is it wrong that I feel nothing? Is it wrong that I feel nothing? Oh. <laughs> Amazing. Thank you so much, Morgan. That last Thank one is you. one of my favorites. That was incredible. Um, just because we've had such a lovely reaction to that reading then, why don't we start talking about some of the sort of themes within the book? So talk to me about the title for anyone that doesn't kind of know the trope around the magical Negro. Could you kind of explain what that is and whether the title of your poetry collection is kind of a rejection of that trope? Sure. It's um, basically this idea originated, I would say, in literature. And, and then, you know, we know it a lot by films. It's basically when that black person appears suddenly, apropos of nothing, tells the white person like some kind of, you know, profound bullshit and sends them on their way and then disappears. And there's no interior life, nothing else. It's just like their purpose is to like, it's like an old black man being like, hey, what, like some riddle or whatever, like a proverb. And then the white person is like, ah, now I go in this direction. It saved my life. And um, yeah, that's like the person's only purpose. Uh, Bagger Vance is one. Um, dude from Green Mile. Yes. Whoopi yeah. Goldberg and Ghost. Whoopi Goldberg one. and Ghost is yeah, one. Uh, <laughs> they abound, honestly. <laughs> like, the more you think about it, the more it's like, oh, that person is a magical Negro. Do we know shit about that person? No. But they were like seminal and they came at just like perfectly the right time and then backed away. Um, so that is, is an idea. <laughs> You're like, yeah, same. <laughs> and then they're a bad thing in terms of creating realities 
for black folk. And I think there's this way of thinking about black people as like this mystical whatever, and like you're here to help me and like give mm. me a little bit of culture and like, ooh, that's like authentic or whatever the fuck. I don't know what, you know, whites will have to tell me. But <laughs> I, I do think that it is an odd trope and it's a way of taking, you know, I say the body as a person, it's a way of separating those two things, right? The myth of the person from the actual person. Why do we not get to know anything about these people and they exist to, to serve mm. a purpose, I suppose. To develop the plots for mm -hmm. the white main characters or whatever it is. They're just like a spirit animal mm -hmm. or whatever. It's like not a real mm -hmm. uh, thing. But then I think a lot about, you know, black girls and magic and, and these sorts of thoughts. And mm. like, obviously, in order to survive the things that we have, there is an element of magic. So I wanted to incorporate both of those ideas, the, the, the fact that the magic is true, but also not. Like, you know, I get upset when folks are like, wow, you must be superwoman. How did you do this? And I'm like, no, I, it's painful. Mm. It fucking sucks. You know, I'm not super, I truly, I get tired. I also, you know, bleed, et cetera. And I think these ideas of magical Negroes can affect how we think about the black people in our lives. And so I just wanted to point out that and also acknowledge that we are magical among ourselves and to ourselves, but that's kind of only for us to say. And that doesn't mean that we're not human, right? I think there's a little bit of a confusion that could happen there. And that, that's really just attacking um, ideas that are in the media, et cetera. Incredible, okay. And I guess sort of that theme. Big old project. <laughs> Casual. Magical Negro sort of relates to a lot of the themes in your work to do with sort of black womanhood and especially mm -hmm. the poems I Am What I Am, which was the last one that she just read, and Strong Black Woman. So do you think sort of having these reductive kind of black tropes is harmful as a black woman, especially one working in the media? It is, and it's, um, it's hard to talk about mm. because obviously the strong black woman is a real thing. But also, why aren't we allowed also to be weak? You know, like, obviously we have to be strong in order to X, Y, and Z. But that's not it. It's not you're strong in that you're indestructible. You know, and I think that's where we get this issue of, I don't know, just focusing about people as not people. <laughs> and uh, this kind of mythical and mystical idea of a human being and that's where the danger comes in. You know, if you're not thinking about a person as a person, then of course it's easy to be like, I'm afraid of that person, I'm gonna murder you. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm American, so that's like what's happening. And yeah, I don't know, I just think it's really difficult to talk about and really, really complex. Because mm -hmm. it's not that I don't think that the strong, you know, the strong black woman exists, but it doesn't mean that we're not vulnerable. It doesn't mean that we don't get tired. And it doesn't mean that it's easier for us to do shit. It's just like, we have to. And I wanted to, I don't know, just offer that and acknowledge that. And that's something that we, as you know, culturally and societally, forget to do when we're just pointing out the strength, mm -hmm. basically. And with your poetry, obviously, you've poured so much of yourself into these poems. 
Um, there's so much there that's really personal. Um, is there sort of an expectation, do you think, for black female writers to sort of, I guess, pour the more painful parts of what they've <clears> gone through into their writing? And how do you balance that kind of expectation with writing your own truth? Um, I mean, yeah, there's like expectations mm. for all black folks to represent all black folks. Yeah, write about everything that's painful and everything to do with rapes. And it's like, I can't do that shit. Yeah, I can't. And that's why I often, you know, my poems will dip into just like I'm walking down the street and mm. I'm, you know, listening to Modest Mouse or whatever <laughs> that you're not expecting because it's just real to me. And I, I do feel compelled to represent my particular experience mm -hmm. as a black woman, but I I know that that's not everyone's experience and I'm trying to make a point that it isn't and that if you're looking for that, you're not going to find it with me and that that is not my job. But that's hard. You yeah. know, it's hard when literature is like, just give me a synopsis, you know, and I don't have that. I have all the complexities and um, the specifics of my particular life. That's what I can represent uh, in an honest way. Everything else, you know, I will give you recommendations all day. But like, it's unrealistic to think that there's like a particular black American experience that each person needs to represent. And it's just, I mean, it's ridiculously unfair. So I do, you know, I, I want to shed light on my particular black American woman experience. But I know that it's not the same as any of my homies or sisters or anything like that. And I, I think that's the value. Sorry, there was another part of your question. That I no, totally no, forgot. that was it. That was okay, it. good. Yeah. <laughs> how do you balance the, the kind of expectation with your truth? And I think you've answered that. Yeah, I mean, and how, can you there's advice? only one thing I can do honestly. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't know. I mean, I could like fake it and like listen to other people and like try to put their voices in. And I do that in some ways. But it. I'm always trying to honor my particular perspective. Mm -hmm. And that's the only way, like I said, to be honest. I can have conversations with my sisters and friends and, and reflect those, but I'm reflecting them through my perspective. And, and that's the only thing that I feel that I can do responsibly. Mm -hmm. And you teach as well, teach creative writing, is that correct? You have done in the past? Yeah. And what kind Every of once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> Multifaceted woman. What kind of advice can you give to aspiring young writers who may also be pressured to kind of, you know, capitalize on their most painful experiences for we've gone through this age of kind of online essays and Oh my god. We've kind of peaked, I think, and gone a little bit past it, I hope. First of all, hundred dollars. Trauma per does not equal quality. Mm -hmm. I mean it's True. a really hard idea to get your head around. It often, entering that space, you know, it can result in quality, but doesn't always. Just because you talked about the hardest shit ever in your life doesn't mean you made a good thing. Mm -hmm. uh, perhaps you did a good thing for yourself. That's dope. But, like, just by being um, vulnerable or by talking about something that is hard does not make a good poem necessarily. And so I would say, like, don't think of, you know, don't exploit yourself and your own trauma, you know, because other people will do that shit for you. Yeah. And there's no need, you know, there's just really no need. And I think um, it's hard. Like, it's a, it's almost a daily thing mm -hmm. for me, too, to, to think I don't have to 
do this just because I know there's an expectation. I know folks mm -hmm. are asking me for like the gritty black American experience. And you know, I don't know. Sometimes I can talk about that, but other times I'm just like, here's what it's like to sit on a curb of 7-Eleven. Like that sometimes is my real experience. And I think, you know, toward the, the Magical Negro conversation, that's where we get a richness of literature when we each can kind of talk about what we can talk about instead of trying to like all point toward a similar uh, bullshit thing, honestly, uh, that's just like convenient, you know? So yeah, I, I would say think about when you're using your words and, and when you're uh, using other people's words. Mm -hmm. And it, it, that sounds simple, but it really isn't because there are so many ways in which our brains, you know, it takes a long time to even figure out which thoughts are yours and which are theirs, mm -hmm. really. Um, and that's the hard work and it doesn't feel good, <laughs> but I think that's like where the line is. Um, yeah, that's why I would tell young folks, it's just like, use your own words. Mm -hmm. And like, it's okay to do that. Uh, I was told several times that it wasn't <laughs> and, it is, it is, like, and we need that. Not only is it okay, but it's necessary. And how did you get into poetry? How did you get into writing in the first Accidental. place? Accidental. What happened? I got into writing because I'm weird uh, and awkward. And I, I found it to be like the most realistic way for me to communicate and like the most natural way for me to, I don't know, so much of my life is like, feeling misunderstood or misread or misheard and, and feeling that words, sentences are not enough to capture what I'm up to and what I'm feeling. And so poetry was a way for me, well, just writing in general was a way for me to kind of use the flexibility and lyricism of words to capture a feeling. Often just stringing words together is not capturing a feeling and mm -hmm. I think that for me has always been important. So I always wanted to be a writer, you know. And you like, grew up in California. I grew up in California. Right. And then you went to New York for college. Went to New York for yeah. college because I was a kid that was wearing blazers at 10 and I like, you know, was in Southern California. They're like, <laughs> what's wrong with you? And I was like, I hear about this place called New York where everyone's neurotic. And you know, it was the promised land. <laughs> But I, you know, I, I didn't, I still was not, I was not inclined toward poetry at all because mm -hmm. I thought it was fucking boring. So you didn't grow up reading any poetry, nothing? I mean, no. Bit. No? <laughs> Langston Hughes, Nikki Giovanni, and that was pretty much it. Gwendolyn, maybe, because there are only like three black poets that are taught from literally kindergarten until 12th grade. Uh, Any other black authors that you were a fan of growing up? Tomo, obviously. That's like Toni Morrison, mm -hmm. is our, you know, greatest living American author. Mm -hmm. Fight me about it if you must. <laughs> yeah, I, The Bluest Eye was like my jam. But yeah, I, I think I really thought of poetry as bullshit. And the only, but that's, I mean, that's not me, that's the educational system, you know, like now when I see teachers teaching like my work and it's like a middle school, that seems right to me. Or like, you know, my homie is like, 
Danette Smith, Nate Marshall. There's no reason I should be reading Robert Frost when I'm in middle school. Have I ever seen a snowy evening? No, I don't even know what the motherfucker is talking about. Like that doesn't make sense. And that's not the way, you know, Bridge to Hiawatha is not the way to get a young black girl to read poems. Uh, so I always thought that that was poetry. So how um, did you get into it then? It, when I was in college. When you were in college, okay. I read some stuff mm -hmm. that I was like, oh, I'm not immediately excluded from this. Like there are experiences being talked about that I have lived. Mm -hmm. But actually at that point, I, you know, I took a poetry seminar. It wasn't even a workshop. And we were reading a lot of different contemporary poets, which opened my mind. And we were just doing exercises every week, different forms, whatever. And I was, you know, I was kind of doing it for play. Mm -hmm. And at that time, I literally was like writing poems about my roommate, reading them at parties, like at 1 a.m. for the jokes. Like that was the only reason. And I was like, isn't this funny that it's in blank verse, but it's also like a joke about my roommate and how I don't like her. Like that was really my mode. I, I felt like it, it felt like jokes in a way that was comfort, comfortable to me and playful to me. But I still didn't realize that that was like a thing that was allowed and it took a while. Yeah, and it was just my professors being like, did you know this is, this is pretty good? And I was like, I didn't know that. I knew it was a good joke. But, you know, and, and I think just to be allowed mm -hmm. was like a really big deal for me and almost didn't happen, you know, because I was reading all these things that were so alien to me and almost designed to make me feel like I wasn't allowed to read poetry. Mm. Right. If we're only reading like Elizabeth, I'm like a skateboarder in Southern California. Like that doesn't make mm sense to me and it actually is like a stop sign like this is not for you you know and what's the poetry scene sort of like in new york i read somewhere that you said there's all these different poetry nights it's really you can go large to and it's yeah. really great so did that kind of keep you inspired as well when you're trying to find your voice or? it did it, it um i went to a ton of readings i went mm -hmm. to a ton of readings i met a ton of poets and they were all so different and you know not everyone was like exactly doing their thing, mm -hmm. but it was a thing where you could go on any night and see some work that was different and um, really it's itself. And I think that just kind of seeing that variety really opened up mm -hmm. something for me where I felt um, allowed and, and I kind of saw what was out there and what I could add rather than how do I do what is happening? Mm -hmm. Which, you know, I think, I think is a trap. And, you know, I've, I tried to do that and it was, <laughs> it was garbage. It was so bad, <laughs> you know, it's like, it, instead you have to always figure out like, what, am, what do I love about what is out there? What do I want to honor? You know, who are the mm -hmm. influences that I want to bring back? But also, like, what, what you want to add, I guess, as well. Yeah, yeah. what can only I do? Mm -hmm. You know, rather than how can I enter this world because it all sounds like this. Mm -hmm. The variety, I think, really allowed me to think about, you know, this is just, this is particularly my shit. No mm -hmm. one else can do it. Um, and it connects to all these other things. 
but it's truly in my voice. And, and I think that's something that is really terrifying <laughs> and it feels like it's not allowed, right? Uh -huh. When you're working within something with such a long tradition mm. and such a thing where the minute people hear poetry, they have an idea about what that means. Mm -hmm. So I can't tell you how many times I've said in my life, like how many hours I've spent at fucking bars being like, no, 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 what you're thinking of is not what I'm up to. <laughs> you know, I, I think it, it <laughs> and it takes a lot to, to do that because it's terrifying. And there will be people who say that is not poetry. You cannot do that. And all oh, that's bullshit. Mm -hmm. So, and with your writing and your collections as well, have you ever kind of been reduced to a trope or a stereotype and had critics of your work who just didn't get it because the poetry world is, you know, lacking in, in some diversity still? Like, have you had people that oh, are just yeah. like, I don't know what this is and Sometimes people are like, is or, this poetry? Really? And I'm like, it says poetry on the back of the book. <laughs> I don't know what you want me to do. <laughs> like, that's what it says and so that's what it is. And people often, like, I think they feel offended. It's like, here's this poetry thing that I hold so close, and it's like a tradition, and this is how I think of poetry. And you're actually, like, doing a violence to what I think poetry is. And, like, bummer for them. You know what I mean? Like, I think that is a scary thing, and they're like, pop culture. But then if I mention Michelangelo, they're like, okay, I, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I often talk about how no one asked uh, Frank O'Hara, and for that reason, or for that matter, T.S. Eliot, no one asked them why they're talking about the things they're talking about mm. and whether or not it's poetry because it's so local and because it's so of the time. They're only asking me because the culture I'm talking about is Beyonce. Mm. And like, just think about that. You know, I, I think. I've been really surprised by that because in my mind, poetry has always referred to the culture that it's in. For me, what I love about poetry is its ability to be honest. So if I was writing poetry that did not mention uh, assorted pop cultural things, it would be fake as fuck. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to write about the Statue of David just because that is proper poetry material. Um, but that's been, it hasn't been easy. I, was I will say, say yeah, that's not been easy. with that? Like, cause you seem like it's like, you know, water off a duck's back now, but has that been difficult of reading course. these kind of reviews? And if they don't get your work instantly, not kind of, you know, taking it personally. Yeah. I mean, whatever. Like, I don't know. I, I think from the beginning, I kind of was a little bit of an outcast in my, uh, world, like in my you know, MFA program and, and things like that. I was already getting that stuff. So there's a way in which I was preparing myself for that and just had decided early on, like, if, if that's poetry, then that's not what I'm doing. But I'm doing something that I think is poetry. And that's been a hard, like, I have to remind myself of that almost every time I go to the page, right? Because there's so much other shit and you know, you think to write a poem, you have to be under a tree or lying on a hammock or, you know, whatever it may be. But I'm not doing that as often as I'm, you know, in a bar talking to a guy named Matt. And that's just like, what the fuck I feel I need to talk about. 
And it's less about writing a poem or a proper poem or writing in the language of poetry and about the subjects of poetry and more about representing my experience and trying to connect with the people that I need to connect to. Mm -hmm. Because poetry never did that for me, you know? I don't want to work in a tradition that I never felt was for me. So I feel really, I don't know, I just feel really strongly about like butting against that. Mm -hmm. And uh, obviously pop culture is just regular fucking culture. Yeah. My president is a fucking reality TV star. There's no line anymore. So it just feels like bullshit, you know, and, and this weird classist, you know, hierarchy. And that's the thing that almost kept me from poetry forever. So I don't want to perpetuate that at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was going to ask actually, how important <laughs> is pop culture to you in your work? Because in this collection and There Are More Beautiful Things Than Beyonce, I feel like it's constantly infused throughout so much of your writing. And you're saying you don't feel the need to differentiate between kind of high and low culture anymore because, you know. It's all culture. It is all culture, yeah. And, you know, my references are not, they're not all the same, you know. And I I think people become surprised by that Mm -hmm. where they're like, oh, there were beautiful things in Beyonce. And then there's like seven poems with like jazz titles. You know, it's just like whatever I'm up to. And that's why I say, like, no one else can do that Mm -hmm. because it really is my particular taste. And I'm not putting any rules on myself. I'm not like, oh, here's a book with Beyonce in the title. So it only has to be uh, contemporary, like, black pop vocalist. Like, Mm -hmm. that is not representing what I'm up to. And I think there's something really exciting about being able to honor all the different things that I'm consuming. Because that is a really contemporary experience. And it wouldn't be honest if I was talking about walking through the world and, like, you know, comparing it to, like, I don't even fucking know, Bach. (laughs) Unless I'm listening to Bach, you know? Like, which sometimes I am, you know? And it's, I think there is something really special about being able to honor all those things. Like, if it's Coltrane versus Rihanna, and if it's both, like, I think that there, that is really reflective of a modern experience. I don't think about timeless or any bullshit like that. I don't know. Like, it's just I, what I, inspires I like, you in the moment. Yeah, yeah. And, well, and also, like, I'm not, I'm just not worried about that. Like, mm-hmm. A, the world is burning. B, there's Google. <laughs> you know what I mean? And it's like, T.S. Eliot, you have to have a separate whole book in order to read The Wasteland, you know? It's like you have to like, oh, this was a thing in that time. (laughs) And yet everyone's like, but will people know who Beyonce is? I don't, who cares? (laughs) Also, we have Google now. Like, and also the word is burning. You know, it's like all these things that I think are false ideas about what makes good literature or timeless literature. I do a lot of talking about like you know Beyonce as like a stand-in or or many of of the pop culture references being able you can plug and play if that's not your reference you kind of get it and you can plug it in with your reference and it's not necessarily about that thing you don't have to know a whole Greek myth Mm -hmm. in order to read this Mm -hmm. which you know I went to grad school and it was like 
You know, I had to Google all these Greek myths because everyone oh, the was writing all of that. Persephone. Yeah. It's like a million pomegranate Been there. bullshit. <laughs> and meanwhile, I'm like, I'm mentoring dangerously in love, and they're like, I just couldn't, I couldn't connect. I didn't know, like, huh? You know, and like that in and of itself is a problem. Yeah, definitely. If we're, you know, valuing, and to talk about culture, valuing one culture mm-hmm. over another. Agreed. Yeah. And even, you know, there are more beautiful things than Beyonce I wrote before Beyonce was who we think Beyonce is and who she is now. When I first started writing those poems, I started with a poem that was about that video that was Beyonce and Lady Gaga. And at that time, Lady Gaga was the bigger, like, pop star. I know... We Ooh. all forgot. She was, wasn't she? Like the she telephone. Was. I remember I said that in college once and they were like, no, 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 no. But like, it's true. No, that yeah, happened was. when she was like Jay-Z's wife and like, you know, ex Destiny. Sh- like that happened. That was a period. <laughs> and definitely people like at school were like, why? I don't understand why you're talking about American politics and then Beyonce. Like, it just doesn't feel correct. Why aren't, you, why aren't you using, like, Nita Simone or Lauren Hill? You know, like, that makes more sense to us. And all of that is, all of that is bullshit. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, these are the things that I'm seeing in the world. And what does it mean to progressive black culture that there is a Beyonce? That there is, like, how do I embrace both sequins and protest music Mm -hmm. how do i do that and that was always really interesting to me rather than saying oh i want to talk about you know uh writing protest songs and then you know simone that feels almost too easy for me and i really wanted to just write with sequence my first book was really sad and i was like what if it's sad but with sequence you know (laughs) like there was something that just it was like as small as that and the book builds from that. And then I was like, Beyonce read my poems, and that's why she is. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> um, I just wanted to ask you then about your writing process, and then we were going to go to the audience for any questions. So get thinking if you want to ask Morgan something. But yeah, just the way you're talking, I'm thinking about you kind of like listening to music and jotting stuff down. And how do you write your poems, and how do you get in the zone? And do you write them one at a time, or do you write them all together, or do you write them after you've seen something that inspires you, and do you have a little notebook where you do jot things down? (laughs) Yeah, I have several notebooks. Mm -hmm. It's like a weird thing at this point where I have, you know, just several notebooks floating around in my life, and I always have at least one in my bag. And I just write down everything. I write down weird ideas I have, weird texts I get, people I hear on the bus, Uh, a line in a Real Housewives episode, like just anything. Mm -hmm. Commercials have been really interesting to Mm -hmm. me. I'm like, that was weird. What in the fuck was that? You know, like (laughs) little things that catch my ear. I just write it down. Mm -hmm. And that is like a, that's the biggest part of my process. Okay. I go uh, see movies. I go to a lot of museums and just write stuff down. Mm -hmm. And I talk about my process in terms of like these phases First is the collecting phase, and that I think is maybe the longest one. Yeah. Where I'm just like in the world, talking to people, doing things, living life, 
eating meals, mm-hmm. going to museums, watching movies, listening to music, all of that. And then there's the writing phase, which is like, it's the smallest of all the phases. It's just like, basically, after I kind of have several pages in a notebook and I'm looking through and I start to see, oh, I'm bringing this up a lot. And like, I keep returning to this thing. And, and this is something that has stayed in my mind. Uh, then I sit down and I'm not writing just toward the blank page. I have certain ideas that have been, you know, kind of percolating. And that's like a, that is an important part of my process. Mm-hmm. I write a thing that is a draft and then the whole rest of it is editing, which is like this horribly painful process of uh, removing my own ego and original ideas from it. <laughs> And trying to learn to listen to the poem and or essay and or scene. And that takes a long time too. So mm-hmm. it's on either side is the longest part mm-hmm. where I don't even know how long it will take. The writing is, yeah, it's, it's maybe like the smallest amount of time mm-hmm. spent, even though obviously it's important. But writing happens in a lot of different ways. Going to a museum, writing. You know, if I'm thinking about it in terms of these phases, going to therapy, writing, you know, mm-hmm. like all of these things contribute to making the final poem. Uh, and it's not just like looking at a blank page and typing a lot of shit. Mm-hmm. Like that is not, for me, that's not fruitful. So it's really like a three or four step process. Yeah, totally, yeah. yeah. And it, it's a process that depends upon living yeah, and true. being in the world. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why there are so many other things that are pulled in. Like, I don't have enough just in my brain. And it, you know, if I'm not going outside, what the fuck am I writing about? Mm. You know, and I'm just writing in a circle to myself and about myself <laughs> and um, <laughs> as much as I'm interested about project you know it can help to bring in other things and to have experiences and definitely you know, you've got to live to write about totally. life so yeah <laughs> that was incredible thank you for sharing thank your you. process that was thank really you. interesting and um, we're just going to go to the floor now if anyone has any questions for morgan i will say before we do this i'm sorry girl whatever you ask i'm gonna answer but i will not answer any questions that are more of a comment <laughs> she said this downstairs and i was I'm like sorry. okay it's like my it's like my rule where i'm like if it's a question that's more of a comment write a blog tweet it like whatever you need to do not this thing this is not the place lovely has to have a question mark at the end that's, have a question that's mark. all that's the disclaimer and let's go to oh, oh yeah right this here. lady here just at the front yeah first <laughs> so i have two questions neither of them are comment questions the first one i assume you live in brooklyn do you live in brooklyn I did. Where do you I live now? Moved. I live in LA now. Oh, I know. Oh, I thought she lived in Brooklyn as well. When you I read just, the, poem. it's the Brooklyn vibe and also I the poem like set in Bed Stuy. I'm like from Brooklyn, was... so I was. This was oh, like a, where? a. Oh my God, Fort Greene, Bed Stuy, Stair City. Yeah. Great location. My spot. <laughs> Greenlight is like my like home bookstore. I feel like that used to be a tire shop when I was growing up, but I have been there before. Like I love it. It's good. good but people. yeah, no, the neighborhood has like changed drastically. But anyway, my first question um, <laughs> was, I guess, about how where you live inspires your writing. 
And then my second question was about your tattoos. Because I see like Ooh. some Harriet Tubman. I think I see Zora Neale Hurston. Oh, yeah. mm -hmm. um, oh, I see yeah. the Basquiat tribute. So if you could maybe give some backstory yeah. about your, your ink. Cool. Ooh, my favorite question. These are great tats. I didn't even look at them before. I know. Good I've one. got a whole, it's a whole world. This one just says reparations. <laughs> and I love like getting change with this hand. It's like, thank you. <laughs> and honestly, it's so funny. Like this white guy tattooed it. And he was like, this is Joe. <laughs> I was like, I know. <laughs> um, yeah, where I live, I mean, of course, you know, I'm listening to people and I'm picking up different dialects and I'm thinking about landscape. But it's funny, I, I feel like I have both a California landscape and a, you know, very Brooklyn landscape within me. So when I first moved to New York, I felt like I was still kind of writing these California landscape <clears throat> poems. And a lot of the time I still am like, this is the Brooklyn thing. But it's because I've spent so much time in both and I'm, I'm understanding the differences and similarities between those experiences and it really just comes back less to place but more to landscape what it, you know what's the environment what does it look like and feel like and sound like those things you know some poems demand a brooklyn environment and some demand a los angeles environment and these are the experiences i can speak to you know what i mean and if I'm elsewhere, you know, I've written a poem like in Gloucester, you know, and it's like very Gloucester, uh, Massachusetts, you know, just like where. And I think that's that's important to like enter different spaces and feel them and think about like what will reflect this space. Tattoos I love and I, I think about them as ways to like mark certain things, whether it be like some kind of emotional shift or like, you know, when I graduate from a thing or I publish a book, but I am, I don't know, I'm kind of impulsive about tattoos, but I usually have like a list of things that I'm interested in. And then I kind of, I'm like, yeah, this feels essential to like right now. And the thing I want to mark. So just go off and get it on the day that yeah. you feel. Oh, yeah. yeah. And it's like, <laughs> I don't know. Like, this one is Langston Hughes. I think I went. This is dig and be dig dug. Dig and be dug. Uh, my Ooh. motto as I live and learn is to dig and be dug in return. <laughs> Langston. Uh, and I think I got it, like, on his birthday. You know, just like, I'm going to go after work and do this. Mm -hmm. uh, so, I don't know. I you can be impulsive to, with it. And it's often, like, just shit that I want to remember and look at. Mm -hmm. um, it's like a way of gathering strength for myself and, like, totems, you know? I mean, Zora, the laugh cry Zora. Uh, this is a collard green leaf. This one's about Fred Hampton. This is from um, this tarot deck called the Black Power Tarot. And it's the strength card, and it's Tina Turner battling a lion. <laughs> you know. Pretty cool. Then there's, like, <laughs> Upside Down America. You know, just, like, whatever. Mm -hmm. H-T-O-G. <laughs> I mean, what? Iambic pentameter. You know, it's, like, feels... Uh, these are things that feel very close to me and reflective cool. to me. And I like that. Amazing. And do we have, have one more recommendation? 
Thank you. I, I, I'm interested in your experience trying to get your poems published the very first time. Trying to get them published? Yes. Mm. Yeah, getting rejected like a lot of houses, times. Because most publishing houses, from what I understand, are not necessarily super diverse. So what was the experience? Super diverse. Is that yeah, what you like yeah. yeah, I know. What in the fuck? <laughs> Wonder review of books. <laughs> not to like be that bitch, but... Um, my experience has been just getting rejected a shit ton of times, like just from everywhere. And then having almost, it's almost annoying the way in which the folks will catch up and be like, oh no, this person's really good actually, and we missed it. <laughs> like, so that has been part of my experience, but the, the bigger part has been just like submitting like crazy. And, um, being really open to where you might fit, you know, uh, just submitting widely, you know, reading a lot and seeing what's out there and thinking, okay, I could see myself in these pages. I could, I could see myself on this website <laughs> and just getting rejected over and over. <laughs> yeah, like I often tell students about when I first had... I don't know, I had like a draft of my first book. So I had a shit ton of poems and none, none of them were published. And I was terrified. And so <clears throat> I had this thing where I just sent out like maybe all of them at one time. Different places I had researched and like, I'm gonna send this packet and I'm gonna send this packet and I'm gonna send this packet. And what happened is like, you know, this era of my life where I would wake up look at my phone and I had minimum one rejection, probably two, before I even get out of the bed, then like pick up dog shit. It's like, it was just became uh, a regular thing to get a rejection and after a while it was like, whatever. It just is so regular, like picking up dog shit, <laughs> you know? It's like, no big deal, it's just like a morning thing. And I also, I'm a very anxious person and like obsessive, so it was helpful for me to have a lot of things out there at once, rather than like, I'm gonna submit to this one place, and like, <sighs> when the fuck are they gonna respond? Like, it's like, you become obsessed, and you can't stop thinking about it. And what was good for me about submitting to a bunch of places at once was that I was kind of like, oh well, uh, tons of other options. And I forced myself to, anytime I got a rejection, send something else out. Uh, so for me, it was like flood myself with rejection mm -hmm. to just like numb myself mm -hmm. to it. And I think everyone finds their way, but just know that whatever way you choose is gonna be a shit ton of rejection. Like to this day, like that is just, that's a big part of it. And I think we all hear that and we don't really expect it and I know a lot of folks who are like, yeah, yeah, of course, that's part of writing. But, you know, they sent one round of poems out and were like, I can't do this anymore. Like, it's just too much. So I, I would think about the ways to, like, make it easier on yourself so that you're not just, like, torturing yourself. Because you are going to get rejected a million times, even if you're a fucking genius. You know, because people are on the other end of it. And it's all, you know, it's very subjective and like, how's that person's day going, mm -hmm. et cetera. Like it's, if you can figure out how to not make it personal every single time, 
that's the way to go. Um, yeah, I think it definitely helps to sort of depersonalize it and be like, yeah. it's on them. It's not necessarily about mm -hmm. my work. It's not for this publishing house, whatever, whatever. Yeah. And I was an editor for like a really long time at literary magazines. So you know I how do, it works. <laughs> yeah, I know like the little background of it is like maybe the reader didn't send this up or maybe I just was like, there's something else similar to this in this magazine, mm -hmm. you know, in this, you know issue or whatever it may be like there are a lot of reasons and it often isn't like this person's trash you know uh it often isn't that reason mm -hmm. so however you can kind of like psych yourself out is uh helpful yeah <laughs> totally what's your how do you sort of approach jazz and poetry and who which particular musicians do you sort of have a a thing for as it were i mean i I just listen to a lot of jazz. I mostly do. In my car in LA, the only, you know, I sometimes will listen to like, whatever, Bluetooth or, that's actually kind of recent. I only had like a CD player in my car. But I, the only channel that it's on is something called K-Jazz, listener supported radio. And it's just <laughs> like, you know, it's like Horace Silver all day long. That's my shit. And I listen to jazz mostly when I'm writing. And I'm really just inspired by rhythm that can be fucked with, truly. That's what it is. And I'm really interested in the interplay of instruments. Yeah, I don't know. And it comes into my work a lot, but in a backhanded way. And it's just like that I like it. There's literally an interview of me. It's so funny that you asked that. It's just me saying, I love, and it's several O's, I love jazz because I am a grandpa. Like, that's just how I feel. I love it. That's my vibe. And that's how I get closer to myself. Lee Morgan is, is one that I really, really have been on. Ramsey Lewis is my jam. Yeah, I, I mean, I could go on and on, but I'm not of my air. <laughs> and so I think that helps me to get outside of what what am I supposed to be talking about? Like, what am I supposed to be focusing on as like a millennium? You know, to get closer to myself, that's what I listen to. Cool. Every once in a while, I'll listen to a song over and over and over and over. And um, my, there are more beautiful things than Beyonce ended with the song, So What? And it feels slightly off from that song, but I know I was like I was listening to that song over and over while I was writing that poem, and it feels essential. Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah, it was just another question about your process. Actually, following on from the kind of jazz, I felt like um, your poems are so have this kind of free flowing energy, but like carefully constructed as well. So I was wondering how you know when a poem's finished, like that's... I edit okay. like a motherfucker. Like I, <laughs> editing, like I said, editing is like, as equal to the like living to write a poem. It, it's a big process and I don't take it lightly at all. And I take myself to task and I am like ruthless about it because I think it's really important. And you know, it's always interesting to me when folks are like, this just feels like stream of consciousness. And I'm like, the reason it feels like that is because I handled every word so painfully, carefully. Yeah. <laughs> you know, stream of consciousness doesn't, 
I mean, who knows what the fuck Jack Kerouac was on, but that is not what is happening. And it, it doesn't come out that way. And, and um, yeah, I think it's a false thing to think, oh, this sounds very natural, so therefore, stream of consciousness. Whose consciousness works that way? Not mine. You know, it doesn't make all these, like, several meanings and, you know, uh, references and rhythms. Like, that's just not how it works. And I read my poems out loud as I'm writing them. That is a big thing. If you're not doing that, you're already fucked up <laughs> as you're writing it. And then as you're editing it over and over and over, you're reading the shit. And it really is about being hella particular about Ruthless, every yeah. <laughs> single word. Is this word necessary? Mm -hmm. Is this syllable necessary? Is this line contributing to what the final poem wants to be? Or am I just a fond of this line? You know, like that sort of thing is really hard. And it takes a long time to like, I don't know, just argue with yourself, basically. So I think that's, and it's not like a poem is done. It's like the poem has reached its, Poem has done its journey. But then do you have an editor as well that will edit on top of your edits? Yeah. Yeah. But usually not as ruthlessly. Not as much, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, like, with the novel, it was like... <sighs> and I was like, but I cared so much about each word. But that's also, like, a structural thing, right? Mm -hmm. um, which is a different editing process. And I think the best way to go into publishing is to, like, do the really, really hard editing on your own. Because... Only you can say how the poem ends up and uh, what the poem has been trying to do and whether or not it has done that. Does that make sense? Amazing. Morgan, thank you so thank much you. for talking to us. Can we have a round of applause? Thanks for listening. To find out more about London Review Bookshop events, visit londonreviewbookshop.co.uk forward slash events.